A question that we get often is, how do I know they are in recovery? Like real recovery. We are so glad that you're here because you're choosing to thrive after betrayal, trauma, or addiction. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, the once betrayed. I'm Kobe, the once addicted. And I'm Brandon, the expert. Now, why am I an expert? Because I've treated betrayal, trauma, and addiction for over a decade. Hey guys, happy holidays. Um, I know that one thing that we all want um, for the holidays is a good relationship and a better relationship. Um, and, and the holidays bring out issues. They bring out things in your relationships. So for that reason, we are offering our Shattered to Thriving program at a, at a massive discount from now until Cyber Monday. So hop on that now. One question we get a lot of, a lot of the time is, what if my partner um, doesn't want to do it with me? And what I would say is, you can't force them to do it, but you can go to them and say, you know what, there's this thing I want to do and it would mean a lot to me if you could do this with me. So, so go approach them, get to work, and get going on your recovery. To get that massive discount for Shadow to Thriving, the code is Black Friday in all caps. Okay, now we're going to jump into a little testimonial. Um, your guys' podcast helped me step out of the victim spot and take back what I could control. So thank you for sharing your story over and over. And uh, that is from The Betrayed. Yeah, I love hearing that, the empowerment that can come from. If there's anything that I, lo- uh, that I love, I, I don't think there's anything I love more than that is, and I, I believe that that is our platform right there is, you know, it's like sometimes it feels like when, when you're pushing somebody who's been betrayed to do their own work and to uh, retain their power and step into it, it feels like you're not validating their pain or whatever. Um, but in reality, what we're doing is we're supporting you to, to move forward and to be empowered and to get better. And so to hear that somebody gets it and somebody's doing it, that's, that's awesome to hear. So thank you. That's cool. Okay, so um, how do I know they're in recovery? I get this question all the time, and we talk about rebuilding trust a lot and what it takes to rebuild trust and how rebuilding trust is a process. Um, Another thing that I I talk to the betrayed about a lot is backing out and backing off and not hovering and not controlling and not taking over um, in the recovery. And so it's a really uncomfortable thing because it's like, well, if I don't do that, then what do I do? I just sit here and watch and wait and see. And, and yeah, you, you kind of, you pay attention to see whether or not change is happening, whether or not real recovery is, is taking hold. And that part right there, Brandon, is one of the hardest steps, I think, in beginning this whole process is that step into, I'm going to let this go and really see where it goes. And I'm going to do what I can do and I might, it might not work out. Yeah. Right? I might yes. get hurt again. Right. Absolutely. And it, it's scary. You let go and you let God. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it is helpful to know what you're paying attention to. Yes. So what you're looking for, it's helpful to get educated and really understand what is recovery. And I love this list that you're giving the five things mm-hmm. because it is, it's those kind of out there um, things to look for that most of us are looking for like are you going to group are you going to therapy yes and those aren't necessarily great indicators 
for really all of it. We, right? we, we talk about how it's the be, not the do. Yeah. And, you know, if you see somebody doing a bunch of things for their recovery, it doesn't mean real recovery is happening. The beauty of this list is it's not about the do. Um, it really flushes out the B. If they can do these things, then they are shifting into a place where they, they're practicing healthy attachment, honesty, openness. Um, they're, they're self-reflecting and they're, they're shifting and they're changing. So um, without further ado, let's go over the five things and then we're going to talk specifically um, about one of these things today. Okay. Um, so first off, that they're proactive in their own recovery. And that's the one we're going to talk about today. Um, next, they're, they're rigorously honest despite the consequences. Um, they are patient and empathetic to their partner's hurt and pain. Um, they're connected to household needs. And then lastly, they're consistent with their actions and their behaviors. So um, let's take part one because, you know, all five of those things I think we could talk for hours on. And so let's break down being proactive in your own recovery and what that means. So, Kobe, to you, what does that mean? Um, for the longest time, I, I had, man, I'm actually, I'm just thinking, I didn't have, I, I really knew that I didn't have any ownership of my own recovery, like early, right? I, I mean, I didn't even, I was, in, I was white knuckling into denial early days. Um, but even when I was attending 12-step, uh, the three different times that I attended, I didn't own anything about that. In fact, I wonder like how much, <laughs> how much did I really, how much did I really own in my life? You know, like was did I did I own? When you talk about not owning it, do you mean like you were doing it because I was totally checking a box? I was doing there yeah. just like to therapist. appease a therapist telling you told me to go. A- you want Ashlyn to see that you're actually doing something. Yeah. That, uh, and then uh, ecclesiastical leaders as well. Like, yes. hey, this is what you need to be doing, which is great. It just, if there's not any oomph in it. <laughs> and what's really yeah. interesting about that is that there was, um, I, I, I didn't take any ownership of it. I was, I was really just compliant. Okay. And what's interesting about me saying that I was compliant is that's how I was raised. Was to was to be compliant to fall into line and to do, do what, what you I was told yeah. and to not push back, not really think for myself. Just like you're gonna do this, and that's the end of it. So, so this is counterproductive. This actually. is counterproductive to recovery. So, if 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 you you know disclosure happens or it's all busted open, then all of a sudden you fall into line and you start doing everything that you should do in mm-hmm. order to be good enough. Um, it it feeds and fuels the addiction. It definitely fed resentment. Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking about early days in my childhood, like in adolescence and stuff. And I, I can think about all kinds of situations where I felt resentment towards my mom or my dad, but it was primarily my mom for, you know, consequences I would get or, you know, things that I would have removed. Um, but it was, you know, resentment grew for sure. And that same thing spilled over into, into um, our marriage. Shame? Would that trigger shame as well? Like going without the right intentions or no? Are you talking like in recovery or are you talking like in adolescence? No, we're talking recovery here. Well, I know that, but I'm just giving some contextual history of the, the parallels that I had. But as far as um, like compliance in recovery, 
um, there's no there's no part of early recovery that I didn't have shame. Right, right, right. There, there's just like shame was just the constant companion that I had early in recovery, like all the three times that I t- then I went to twelve step until I really started specialized therapy, and and I still had shame there. I, I should clarify that, but I didn't have ownership. Like I I didn't show up and say I'm doing this for me because I know that this is going to help me get past this. I didn't want to get get through it. I wanted the whole discomfort and the pain from the situation to go away. Yeah, yeah. I That's want the, what I really want. The pain wanted. and the discomfort to go away. So, so if I show up... If I show up and I appease certain people, because most of the consequences are in your relationships. Yes. Right? It's Ashton having a problem with with your the things that you're doing it's your ecclesiastical leader so if i show up and do the things that i should then that pain will go away and everything will get better they'll stop talking about it yeah yeah (laughs) i mean and that's that's how it was it was that that's a lie it's a manipulation it's a i'm gonna i'm gonna manipulate them to think that i'm actually changing i'm actually shifting and so they get off my back and i don't have to work my recovery totally Uh, where i was it hurts real recovery recovery is recovering yourself and so i i I would i would say to a guy um you know uh, i can meet with a guy for a year and he could come weekly for a year and he could be really nice and say all the right answers and he's in less recovery than that guy i meet with for the first time and he says i think i think this whole therapy thing is bullshit and i don't want to come anymore I would rather have him say that to me mm-hmm. and not be open to it, but at least he's being honest with me about that. For sure. Then pretend like he's into it, but he's not at all. But there's a Just, different energy to it, to it too, from those two people. Is there not? N- now, neither one I think is really <laughs> like moving forward. In <laughs> but you have an but opportunity with the second guy because he's being real. Yeah, he's yeah. being real. So we got somewhere to start with. Whereas the other guy is still in his poser. He's still in manipulation mode. He's still causing betrayal trauma with his spouse in a very subtle, nice, kind, check the boxes way uh-huh. as opposed to the guy who's being honest. That's, I think, so common and it breaks my heart because you can listen to our podcast and have a lot of really great knowledge and the right things to say and it still feels off. It's yeah. that energy, yes. right? And the intentions behind it. And so... If you're listening and you're feeling, that might be one of the indicators. Absolutely, that it's not real. You're right, Ashlyn. Um, okay, so let's let's shift though, because we're we're getting kind of to the second one, which I think is very important, which is you're rigorously honest despite the consequences. But where we started was proactive in your own recovery. So, what what really that means is, it's not external motivation. Um, at first, it might be. Mm-hmm. At first, you might come to these groups because somebody wants you to come. But in time, if you're really going to get into recovery, it's got to come from within. Mm -hmm. And you embrace recovery. You love recovery. You're doing this for you uh, and believing in it for you, not for anything else and not for anybody else. And the reason why this builds trust, it's obvious, I think. But, you know, that that spouse who who goes out of town for a week, um, if they're married to somebody who's doing all their recovery work for them, then they're going to expect their spouse to fail while, while they're gone. Um, they're not going to last. They're not going to do their recovery work because they're the ones have been, that have been doing the re- recovery work for them, right? The spouse who's in a marriage with somebody who's in recovery and proactive in, in their own, own recovery, they can go out of town for a week, and they know that person's going to kill it while they're gone. 
um, th because they love it, because they're doing it. Um, it's, and it's awesome to see when somebody embraces their own recovery. What shifted for you, Kobe? How did you go from compliant man to killing it in your own proactive recovery man? Well, <laughs> right. Um, that is pretty laughable if you knew the place I was in before I started <laughs> real recovery. But the truth is, is that, and, and I've said this uh, a few times on the, on the podcast, is that I was, I was totally and wholly afraid of facing God knowing that I had had a second affair. That was, that was the, the sole motivator for me that I have to, like, there's something internally wrong with me and I have to fix it. And um, that was that was the thing that was what motivated me. So when you know Ashlyn told me told me that there's such thing as specialized therapy, I was the one that was calling, saying, "Hey, do you sick?" I mean, just trying to get the whole thing going. Let's be clear, though, it was six months later, just so that the For sure. listeners can understand. It wasn't like the same day. Boom. For yeah. sure, it was, no, it was not the same day. It was six months later for sure, and uh, maybe even longer, yeah, actually, maybe eight months, but. The, but the truth is, is that um, I knew that internally that I had to change without question. And so I guess that eight month was kind of like my, my uh, I guess I needed that to build up the courage to say, okay, I'm actually going to do this. Yeah. Because when I, when I went in, I wasn't all, I wasn't all in because I was still holding back, for instance, the second affair. But I was like, I have to fix this just in case I die on the way home or something like that, I, right? I, Kobe, I love what you're saying because, and I've heard this several times uh -huh. from, from, from guys is, you know, step three is turn your will and your life over the care of God. Mm -hmm. And step three is not turn your will and your life over the care of Ashley. <laughs> right. And, and <laughs> which I thought it was that. Yeah. yeah right. I thought it was that. that. I went to 12. <laughs> yeah. I, that's all I, I heard. I, I was <laughs> starting to believe that too after a while. Um, but like I've a guy that I know, he talked about, he was he was going through the motions. He had been to several therapists, gone through a bunch of group work, and he relapses, and he relapses, and he relapses again. And uh, finally, his wife gets to a point where she's like, I'm, I'm out, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. And he talks about this night that he spent wide awake all night long. The only question he had in his mind is, is God real? And, and by the end of the night, he, he came to the conclusion that I, I actually do believe that God is real. And if God is real, then all of this stuff that I'm doing to try to be good enough, to try to manipulate it, the, the answer to me, if God is real, then I've got to do this for me and my relationship with God. Like between those two things, I've got to go forward with my recovery. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you talk about, Kobe, is when you really looked at it with God and, and your salvation and moving forward and what's going to happen with you, it's like, I got to make this right. I've got to yeah, do this. Absolutely. Um, I've got to step into the integrity as a man of who I am for me between me and God. Yeah, right? that was first and foremost. That was first and foremost. And of course, it was like, I don't want to lose my family was 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 you know closely on the heels of that but i knew that it was about me but 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 i don't want to lose my family it seems like that is a noble um motive right that that's a good thing to be yeah. motivated and to i not hear that all the family. time too it's still not enough no for real recovery no right well, because no, no. what if it doesn't work right if you 
if you really are in real recovery and your marriage still falls apart, it's a great point, Ashley. You still have to be in it for the right reason, which is for you. Right. And right. our story is not the story. It is a, per, a you know, a couple's story. Yeah. <laughs> and so everyone's story turns out very different than ours. Um, I will say too, what I've noticed in that that shift is that it became exciting, like for us to even really. Yeah. I don't think still, I've ever heard you use that word to describe is. what happened. Mm-hmm. Like even after we just went on a vacation to California and we were gone a week and, you know, to go to a similar vacation you've had before with your family, but like, you know, a year later or something, right. you have a lot of opportunity to compare yes. and to say, Hey, look how to far reflect. we've come. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so for me, it was a lot of like, Oh wow. Like, look how we showed up different. Like we still had hard times and lows mm-hmm and a lot of highs, but look what we did with the lows. Look how you're handling yeah. it. Yeah. And so That's awesome. it became, I mean, we came right before the podcast and we're sharing this really low moment with you right. that ended on a high for our family on that trip. And that's not something we would have shared before when it was like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. Like we suck as parents. Right. We, our kids are crappy and not grateful and blah, blah, you know, and now it's just different. I love it. I love it. You know, I think... When I see both both parties become proactive in their recoveries, um, they start reaping the the blessings of recovery work, and it shifts from recovery being this thing where it's like, oh, I gotta I gotta fix this problem, you know. Th- there's this there's this issue in our life that we have to overcome, to this thing where it's like, I love this. This is exci- it is exciting. This is fun to be able to connect to God's self and others on the levels that we are. It's fun to watch the growth that we go through. Um, it's fun to experiment with with our connection and and just see where where we can go with this thing. And that's where you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, this issue that we've had, the betrayal, the the addiction, the hard stuff, it is turning into a blessing now. But the only mm-hmm. way that you get there is for both people individually to be humble enough and willing enough to to work their individual recoveries. And that's what gets you there. It's funny, just reflecting on that, um, we were both totally willing, which, which looking back, um, it, I knew for sure before we started this, based upon the meeting that you went to, the Togetherness Project, back when that was a thing, and you heard Dr. Skinner for the first time, and you knew that it was betrayal trauma. I knew for sure that you had to heal Ashlyn from the wounds that I had caused. There was no question. And, and yet all the time before it was like, Kobe, this is your issue. Fix it. But, but, but that was the conclusion that that was what we were told by the, by one therapist who wasn't a sex addiction therapist. She was just a sex therapist. And so she didn't understand that. So what other conclusion were we going to come to? So to your credit, your everlasting credit, you were like, okay, I'll concede to the fact that I need to get some help and I'll do it. But um, it was the fact that I think one of the good things is, is that we um, paid in advance for like three months of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> we Seriously? were stuck. Seriously. So you we were like, we it. were committed. Yes. We were totally committed to doing it. And we had a good therapist. And luckily. we, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but But the thing was is, is when we first started, in as much as we were motivated to go internally, each on our own, and we were like totally supportive of like, okay, tonight you've got to go to therapy, tomorrow I've got to go to therapy, let's just do what we need to do to take care of the kids and all this stuff, right? We were all in on that stuff. But we still, first going, like it was the uncomfortable shame walk from the car into the room 
whether it was group or individual or just the just the waiting room. It was so uncomfortable and it was so shame-filled for me. And that probably lasted, may, I don't know, maybe six to eight weeks. And after that, um, it, was, it was very different. But I had to get over the discomfort of the fact that I'm actually owning my recovery and I have to go in and do this. And I might be seen. I might have to look other people in the eye. Yeah. And that's going to suck and it's going to be hard. But so I just want to be really clear that Ashley and Kobe weren't just like the star students in the cl- like in the class. Like no, we weren't I, at all. I think, and I'm not in touch with all the women I started group with, <clears throat> but I'm sure they know where I'm at today. And I'm sure they think it's weird, <laughs> like yeah. laughable because yeah. I said nothing in those groups until the very end. And, you know, that was the first place I ever shared my story. Like, who is she? Why? Yeah. yeah. How are you the person who's sharing when you were so quiet and right. shame filled? Right. In those beginning groups. Yeah, that's interesting. And I was a total poser. In fact, Ash remembers this too, but I was a total poser in group who, I mean, I was just arrogant when I showed up and was like, hey, let's do this. Let's fix this. And I, I was just not, I was not there yet. And I also always came in with a, uh, like a coat on and I never unzipped it. Like I never, and nor did I take it off, but it took a couple months for that to happen. And so it, it took those some time. <laughs> totally. It took time for me to be okay with being uncomfortable when it very first started. And after that little discomfort and after I was able to connect with the other guys in group, then it was like, oh my gosh, I really am not alone. Like I know that these other people are in the room with me, you know, when, when I took your educational course, you know, for the first, right. I think it was six weeks or so, it was like, oh, okay. So I saw the guys, but I didn't know their stories. But once right. I got into group and I saw and heard their stories, it was like, I, I'm not the only one. Right, right. Like, I'm, I'm really that not. fellowship helps you bust open a proactive yeah. recovery. It, it it's like totally this, we changed can do this. it. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not isolated in this. Exactly. That's why I love group. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, but here's a question for you. So can a sponsor work your recovery for you? I wish. They might try. <laughs> they, uh, I see it ha- happen all the time where people try to get that to happen. Like, let me hand it over to this person. They're going to make it better. They're my mentor. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Can, can, it, can you pay the best therapist ever enough money to work your recovery for you? I mean... Like they are the best. <laughs> that, no. I'm, sure that's, best I'm, the I'm best. sure that's I'm sure that's possible, and I'm sure that there's therapists not that possible. try. It's not. No, I, <laughs> it reminds me of what you talked about in the beginning, the two different guys coming in, right? Yeah. And you have an opportunity when... Um, I felt the biggest shift for me when I started doing um, therapy work was just being honest with our therapist, Amy, like, Hey, I'm uncomfortable. This makes me feel weird. I feel like I'm doing it wrong. When I would say even stuff like that, that was like for me vulnerable, but for her, she was like, Oh, okay, well let's do this. And this will make you comfortable. But that was your work, Ashlyn, right? You coming willing to show up honest is, is gave you a chance to really shift. And, and a lot of clients will come in really wanting wanting me as a therapist to force them to stay sober, to get honest, to do this, to do that. I can lay out, uh, you know, the roadmap for anybody. Yeah, and, totally. And uh, some people are are willing to take steps down that, that path. And some people act like they are and they're not. And some people totally don't want to, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but... The, the best therapist in the world, the best sponsor in the world, the most amazing spouse in the world um, cannot do it for you. And 
there's a reason for that is your healing will take place when you're willing and you, and when you accept where you're at. And so once you accept that and you're willing, that's the process of real recovery. All these other people are just reflectors and educators and guidance for you. And, and your gut will kind of hear the truth of what they have to say or maybe say, ah, that doesn't feel quite true to me. But then you'll move forward in your healing process to discover what real recovery is for you. And so uh, for all of you who have a great therapist, I hope I'm not discouraging you because that great therapist will do a great job at handing your recovery back to you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And saying, here you go. Like, you're either doing this or you're not. It's so. kind of interesting, just playing the, 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 the analogy of the doctor trying to um, treat the patient. There's plenty of doctors, I'm sure, who have treated patients, whether it's a wound, a sickness of, of some kind, and have been unsuccessful because the body is saying this isn't either like my wound is not compatible with your treatment. The body's not responding to the treatment because the body's not ready or whatever the case is. Right. Yes. And the same thing happens. The same thing happens for the soul. Like nobody can, can try to internally motivate me to change. And, um, no one can give that to me. No one, no one can force me to grow. I kind of like your analogy. You know, this, this work is not surgery. So, um, you know, as a therapist, I don't go in and do heart surgery and then it kind of heals itself and gets better. It's, it's more like physical therapy yeah. where, yeah. where you got to come in, you got to move, you got to go through the pain, you got to go through the process over and over again in order for change to happen. Yeah. So, but it was the, it was some of the best times that we had in, in recovery was the, once we got over the discomfort of going and we were engaged, you were doing your shame group and then I was starting to dig into shame in my group that was the time where I developed a love for therapy mm -hmm. and a love for my own process. And it was, it was fun and it was exciting going to group because of the things that, that I was learning. And it wasn't just learning about how much of a douche I was. It was learning and, and, and understanding the science behind addiction, understanding the various um, relationships in my early childhood that contributed to it understanding my own choices, learning to take responsibility. I mean, there's all kinds of things that were just like, that were just ahas and that helped me understand and then be motivated. But ultimately, in order to take ownership, like if my therapist was like, hey, you need to do this, I was like, I'm on it. Yeah. If you need to, like, you need to have dailies Willingness. done, Willingness. I'm going to do that. Boom, follow through. I need to go to 12-step, I'm going to do that. I need to get a sponsor, I'm going to do that. It was like, what? Which reminds me... <laughs> In the beginning for me, I had a lot of, um, like, I don't want to do this. This isn't fair. Um, we had just gotten off the heels of our children's um, sexual abuse and mm -hmm. dealing with that. We didn't trust people to babysit our children. Right. And here we are saying, now we got to go to group and therapy and we need a babysitter. Right. And so I was mad. Like, mm -hmm. this is your fault. Yeah. So I started in a lot of, like, the anger, but also I'm going to do this because... I got to fix the marriage. Um, and then it did do that shift. of, And it was for me the education part of starting to understand him and why he was showing up the way he was mm -hmm. and why I was showing up the way I was. When I had that education piece, it was like, okay, I, yes. I definitely play a role and I want to be a different human. Right. And I've said it before, but recovery has made me more of the person I've always wanted to be. Right. And I'm not there yet and I'll never be there yet right. because it's that continual growth and then the, the growing up and the growing down yeah. and saying, hey, 
I see where I was over here. Right. And it's okay. I think the shift that you just described, Ashlyn, is, um, you know, blame is like the great killer of internal motivation. Mm-hmm. It just destroys internal motivation. Totally because does. It's like, well, Kobe, you suck. You did this. This is your fault. So are you really going to go to therapy and be open about working on you, Ashlyn? And, and you know, No, what that looks like, I think, <laughs> is when you show up and you just talk all about your partner. Yes, yes. And it's nothing on me. And it comes back to that, uh, that review that we read today where um, for you to take responsibility for your own mm-hmm. healing and your own recovery, even though Kobe did this, um, is, is hard to do. It's hard to shift into proactivity in your recovery as the betrayed um, because it's so easy to blame. There's so much to blame. There's so <laughs> like, here you go. It's his fault. But, but you will stay stuck unless you get proactive in your own healing and take responsibility for it. Totally. So. And, and, and by the way, I've got to say, that goes both ways. I hear it all the time where the addict is saying, well, she doesn't give me enough sex, or she's so difficult, or she triggers this, or she triggers... If you're stuck in blame, then you are not proactive in your own recovery um, from the addicted side of things as well. Well, ownership. Go yeah, ahead. and that's exciting because it goes into our next topics that we'll be talking about later on. Absolutely. You know, we're going to do a five-part series on this so that you guys can really understand what it really feels like and looks like. Absolutely. Ownership of recovery is one of the coolest things that I did because I realized that I was actually walking the walk rather than talking it. Love it. We'll end on that. All right. See you guys. See you guys. Thanks.